Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Allen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. Hey everyone, I'm Grant Armstrong, pastor of Adult Ministry. Hi, I'm Erin Christner, director of Women's Ministry. And I'm Kelly Brady, a senior pastor here at Glen Allen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today for the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. What's new up? New team morning. today. Yeah, we got some absences and some new recruits. Welcome. Special welcome to Grant and to Aaron. Should they introduce themselves a little bit? Yeah. Can you uh, just tell us what you do here, a little bit about yourself and what you do here at GBC? Yeah. I'm Aaron Christner, and I serve as the Director of Women's Ministry. I've been in this role for about four and a half years now. Um, and I am married to Jordan, and we have three little kiddos. Adeline, who is five and in kindergarten, Miles is three, and Crew is one. Tell us one good thing that's going on, something you're excited about in women's ministry. Um, this winter, we're about to launch actually registration today, but I have a group of women that wrote our women's Bible study on the book of James. It's so cool. So I feel really excited about that and just the opportunity to use these women and their gifts and just kind of share that with the women here. So excited to launch that. I love that so much that it's coming out of in-house. Yeah, it's really Really great. And the women that have been working on it are just so talented and really passionate about the study. So excited to... So will they be teaching the material and then... Yeah. Creating all the exercises and questions and... Yeah. So the study is already done as far as the first draft of it. And we have the editing team. Um, So that will be all that they created all of that. And then they'll also be teaching as well each week to week. What kind of rotating. General size. How big a group of... Did it take to pull this off? There were five of us that did it. And you guys, how long have you been working on it? We started working on it probably last spring. Yeah. So it's kind of been in like a dream phase for a while and then COVID hit and then kind of paused and then we re regrouped and yeah. You guys put some good hours into it. Yes, we have. And there's definitely some team members who've put a lot of time and energy. Yeah. Um, have you found that, uh, are you, fi- are you finding in, in this process? Cause obviously you've done others, lots of other studies before. Are you finding, um, just interesting things that, uh, are happening because they're coming from our church for our church instead of from another church or another ministry for our church? Are you finding just, yeah. you know, unique, interesting things happening? Yeah, I think so. I think some of even just the themes that we've pulled out of James, I think will really apply to the women and things that they're experiencing and just the desire to that balance between faith and works. And um, just, I feel like there's a lot of tension there with women, especially in living in the suburbs. And so excited to kind of apply to that and speak specifically to where we find ourselves as women at GBC. Um, And then just the conversations that have happened or the things even as we prepared that Kelly's messages have been on were like that have tied into the parts that we're working on. So that feels exciting too. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Sure. Um, Let's see. So I'm Grant. I've been on staff for five years. It was five years, January 1. We just got the email the other day. Celebration. Celebration. Yeah. Uh, When I got hired, John was very uh, new. Is the word you're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. No, worried? Worried? No. John was very concerned. I was going to just talk about his administrative abilities, how convenient it is for me and my taxes that uh, I start on January, January 1. Um, but yeah, I've been here for five years and do the adult ministry stuff. Um, I'm probably most visible on Sunday mornings, walking around, saying hi to people. Um, and shaking hands, kissing babies. Not in COVID. You don't kiss babies anymore. Um, but I'm married. Uh my wife is Laura, and she is great. People love her. I love her. Um, excellent, excellent person. And then I've got two boys on the outside. My oldest is Tucker. Uh, he is six, and Cooper is three. And then Laura is expecting our third boy. Bob. Yep, Bob. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. Ralph. Darryl. Um, he actually this is the, my brother, Daryl. <laughs> Ralph. It's my other brother, Daryl. The name is undecided. We can't land on anything. It's a weird name. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't been able to land. Anyways, April is when uh, the third baby joins the Armstrong family. So, Third boy. Yeah. Another boy. Yep, ripping through the house, I anticipate. We got um, 
not that we have to get into like Christmas gifts, but I'm going to just one of the things I was proud of. This was the first year we could go like full scale, all boy things. Cause I knew we were having another boy. So, uh, we bought a football tackling bag, like an actual one that you have on practice fields. And my nice. boys just spend the yes. evenings running themselves into That's it. It's a great idea. Where'd you get that? Uh, just search for it online. Yeah. Right, right. yeah it was yeah. awesome. And then, um, the other one that I was pretty proud of was, uh, these lightsabers that people use for LARP. Yeah, they use them for LARPing, so they're indestructible. <laughs> and for 99.9% uh, .9 of our listeners who LARPing. don't know what LARPing is, what is LARPing, Grant? LARPing is live action role play, where typically, I guess, people dress up in their uniforms, costumes, whatever. I'm picturing Grant in my mind's eye right now, dressed up no. in your LARPing But I'm not, a, I'm not a LARPer. I just knew about it, and yeah. I thought, these yeah. people will have lightsabers for my boys. So they, they light up, and when you hit them together, they, yeah, they make the noises, <laughs> and the like lights flash and they're big um and i'd yeah, like to go check awesome. it out i don't know if i would do it but i'd like to see we have a couple people in our worship ministry probably the only ministry at gbc that has what larping yeah. folks yeah I don't, I don't know what they're called but um, it's larping but yeah so we've got lots of sword fights happening at our house right now with lightsabers awesome. and kelly what'd yeah. you get for let's let's each name one before we get into it what one, one gift that you are super excited about super excited about i got the uh airpods Oh, yeah. they're good. And yeah. I noticed that yeah. the other day, because we're, we, for those who don't know, we live across the street from each other. And Matt I was going lives on over my there. street. <laughs> I, I, live on, I live on you Kelly live Street. On There's, street? There are many people who live on Kelly <laughs> Street. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and if you don't, you can just sit outside his house in the car and look in his window. <laughs> but I, 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 like, I, like, I think I called, and while I was watching you uh, do something in your driveway, and you weren't holding your phone. I was shoveling. And I knew it like right away. I was like, oh, what's, what's good? And I walked over there. I saw the little white things in his ears yeah like, nice Would so you, do you like them yeah they're nice yeah they don't stay in as great i'm not sure if that's my okay. i got something to learn there or what but yeah yeah and you got a guitar una, I, una guitarra. not just a guitar i got the the guitar the guitar i've always wanted my whole life like spoiled brat oh it's so <laughs> awesome <laughs> and it was a that's gift fun. too it was a gift from outside of the marone family that's what i'll say about it so it was just really, really, it's really special. Santa, <laughs> exactly. Santa, Santa brought baby. it. Uh, and it's amazing. Gosh, I love it. I played it last night, just working on my finger picking. Aaron, what'd you get? I got some slippers that I was really excited about. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound okay. as cool after AirPods and a guitar, but they're really nice slippers, and I really like them. There you go. Yeah. What, what about the slippers are nice? What, why do you like them? Why do I like the slippers? They yep. got good support for walking around my house and being on my feet with kids all day and they're warm that's totally how you know that right? you moved into a different stage I feel of life like, I know like, when what do you like, like about those shoes oh they're there's good support they're like adult <laughs> slippers not just like the cheap kind of i don't know yeah they're just do they have traction because that's the problem with a, a lot of slippers bit, yeah. is if you have hardwood yeah, whatever they have traction yep they have traction support they're warm yeah they go with my Everyday outfits. It's great. Yeah. All <laughs> Welcome right. to QVC, everybody. All right. <laughs> can, if All you right. want the brand later, I can tell you. No, yeah, a link in our uh, podcast <laughs> Put a link notes. there. Do we put links? Affiliate link. All right. What, um, no, no, no. What'd you get, Grant? Yeah, for a yourself. Oh. costume? No, that was for my kids. Talking What'd about you his, get? Uh, um, Lightsabers. Uh, the gift to myself was to um, <laughs> just... Make a new interior interior renovation. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, that's so you've right. been working on your house. Yeah, yeah. So all my money is going into tools and lumber. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That was, but it's fun. I've been taking pictures. Did you get a specific cool new tool that you're excited about? Um, I'm kind of not not yet. I'm waiting to see. Most of the other projects, I I justify getting tools. Um, which is like one of the reasons I think. It, one of the best reasons to do projects yourself because you yeah. can buy the new tool and you hold on to it. Um, so I've been looking, but you know, trying to trying to manage budgets on home projects. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't done that yet. Borrowing some tools, got Absolutely. some good help from some of our uh, borrow contractor friends here. So appreciated of that uh, in their coaching on what I can do. But yeah, but I got to use some tools in ways that I hadn't before. So I yeah, used a sawzall to cut out a wall. That was awesome. Cool. Also, the scariest thing I've ever done. But cutting out a wall. Yeah. Like the entire thing you yep. took out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Nice. Just was hoping my house wouldn't fall down on me. So. Were you were you 100% sure it wasn't load-bearing? No. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I had reason to believe it was not, but (laughs) that was as far as I got. That's awesome. Uh, The the advice I received from someone, and I don't know if this is good advice or not, but they're like, if it goes wrong, you can always just put it back. All right. I I guess we'll try that. If if the wall starts to collapse, we will put that right back in. So does that person LARP? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he even knows. Not sure you want to. Okay. Let's get into some questions. We got some good ones today. Uh, Here we go. First question. These are holdovers from the Christmas Advent. Yeah. These, these first couple. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, first question uh, asking about genealogies. Um, when discussing the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew, it sounded like GEBC is open to the possibility that the ge- genealogies in the Bible could be factually or historically inaccurate. What other parts of the Bible could be factually or historically inaccurate? The genealogies in the Bible are complete and factually accurate. That's where I want to start. Uh, they are just they just aren't accurate in the way that moderns 21st century Americans think a ge- genealogy should be accurate they're accurate in the way that first century writers and readers would have expected them to be so interpreting scripture requires that we handle the text as the original authors intended it to be handled for example we wouldn't approach the psalms which are the songs of Israel we wouldn't approach the Psalms the same way that we would approach First and Second Kings, which are books of history. We understand that the Psalms, as poetry, should be handled differently than you would handle a list of kings and their activities. But, and here's the point, even within history writing, we must consider how ancient writers reported history, and when it came to genealogies, they were constructed to express more than simply such and such begat so and so. It wasn't just a, fame, a family descent issue. For example, first century genealogies were constructed to reflect things like political realities, socio-religious realities. For example, in First Chronicles 2, um, you read there that Salma fathered Bethlehem, which is the name of a city. And so Salma fathered Bethlehem. It, the point here is that there is a, a socio-political inclusion in this genealogy. We're, we're told here who founded Bethlehem, which, you know, in, a, in our 21st context, century context, I'm not sure anybody would include a city's name in a genealogy. Um, genealogies in the first century were also um, aimed at uh, explaining or tracking changes to family structure. And so, for example, in the ancient world, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons in Genesis 48, uh, took the place of Simeon. And it, Simeon drops out of some of the genealogical records. One of the, uh, the 12 sons of Jacob, he drops out, and then Ephraim and Manasseh take his place, and the, the count of the tribes of Israel remains at 12. So these types of changes, um, they're factually accurate, but they're trying to communicate different things. So, for example, ancient genealogies shouldn't be considered exhaustive or precise in the way that we think of precision. Uh, They were more selective in their genealogical writings and purposeful, including people and excluding people, uh, that in order to make certain points. So in Matthew's genealogy, it's completely accurate, but not exhaustive, limiting the number of those listed to construct a series of three groups of seven. So, which is the ancient number of perfection. So they're, they're actually excluding and including names in order to get a groupings, three groupings of seven. Um, for example, in Matthew 1.8, we see that Joram fathered Uzziah. Well, we know from Second Chronicles that that means that several generations, three to be exact, were omitted in Matthew's genealogy. There were three generations between Joram and Uzziah. But they wanted to limit the number of names mentioned to work with groupings of seven. All right, so you get the point, I hope. Yeah, I think the point seems, cl- seems clear. As for the second part of the question, how do we determine which parts of the Bible are historically accurate and which parts aren't? Well, again, <laughs> the Bible is completely accurate and true. The, the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus is completely and historically accurate when and if we read it as the original authors intended it. 
So that's, that's the real work of reading the Bible, is to make sure that we're, we're getting back into the mindset of the ancient writers and, and readers. So how, um, and like I said, I think the point is clear, but how would you respond to somebody who just heard you say all of that and feels overwhelmed? Because like, so are you saying for me to really understand the Bible, I'm going to need to understand ancient Near Eastern context? Because I, I might be walking around going, well, yeah, of course those genealogies are are accurate and exhaustive. Right. And, and then I find out, oh, that's not right. Oh my gosh, I just give up. You know what I mean? So when you use the word understand, you say, what does it take to understand the Bible? The, my question to you is, well, at what depth do you want to understand it? And so, you know, five-year-olds and four-year-olds can understand the message of salvation. Mm-hmm. You guys have little ones in your house, each of you. And so the beauty of the message of scripture is that uh, the simplest of minds can understand the, the message of salvation. And I take, take Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, all right, so, you know, a four-year-old can understand that. God's the creator. But the 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 list of nations in Genesis chapter 10 is going to be confounding to that four-year-old. So it's just a matter of study. Yep. And you can, you can spend your life, and if you're a follower of Christ, you'll spend your life studying God's word, and you'll be growing in your knowledge and understanding. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be frustrated. I would be thankful that we're understanding um, the text, and we can apply it to our lives, and and I think when, when people run into stuff of realizing, oh, this is different than I thought, as opposed to dismissing things, opting out, quitting, or whatever, um, they should see it as an invitation. If you want to know more, great, lean into it. There's certainly people who have, and they have a confidence about what the Bible says and, and our faith. Um, so we, we can study more, but it, it's not actually a reason to uh, disbelieve or not think deeply. Yeah. Um, it's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. And I, I was just texting with a guy the other day and he's done some of this work looking at some of the broader themes of scripture. And he's, he's learning about that right now. Um, and he was saying how, how much it has affirmed his faith in God, seeing that these authors from different times and places who didn't collaborate with one another have these similar themes across all scripture from mm-hmm. Old Testament to New Testament um, and how convincing that is for him. And he, he actually initially was like, is this, is this a conspiracy theory? <laughs> uh, he's like, I don't want to sound like a crazy person. And I was like, no, that's exactly God's point um, that God was behind influencing these writers, um, writing scripture through them. Um, and there are these, these broader things and it, it deepens our faith the more that we know. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're uh, not faithful by not knowing it, but it's an opportunity to go deeper and, and grow in our confidence of God's goodness and character. Yeah. And we should be honest, there's been a lot of abusive use of scripture, but when we do the hard work of studying, then we can root out those who would twist scripture for their selfish ends. Where we familiarize ourselves with what's really going on and the intent of the original authors and audience and familiarize ourselves with the ancient context, then it's, it's less likely, it's not impossible, but it's less likely that the scripture will be twisted for 21st century people's selfish motives. Yeah. I think um, one of the challenges I was thinking about when looking at this question is the genealogies or anything where there's dates seem a little easier to take as factual or like that's history or I can prove that. But I think when you come to interpretation of different things or teachings, I know we've talked about different issues on the podcast. I don't want to go into those, but just kind of that struggle of what is the context this was being spoken to and in and how do we interpret that for today? It feels sometimes trickier, harder to push into. Yeah. What, what kind of range uh, of folks do you have at women's Bible study when you go into a study and, you know, beginners, intermediates, experts, like... We have all of it. Everyone from a friend, people inviting, people who have never been in a Bible study before. That's um, awesome. People that have either grown up in like the Catholic church and have never done anything in an evangelical church. Um, From women who've been in the word forever, women with seminary degrees, all of it. Yeah. And everyone is, you know, it's it's a good experience for everyone. Yeah, it is. It's good and good conversation and we try to really make it a place where people can ask the questions and we can sit in the unknown sometimes or push into it or point to directions or provide resources. Hey, just remind us, give a little infomercial real quickly, Aaron. When are the times of Women's Bible Study, days and times? Yeah. Um, So we'll start back up January 25th, um, 
which is a Tuesday. We have Tuesday morning Bible study, which is here at 9.30 a.m. Um, and then we have a Wednesday morning group that meets at 6.15 at a home of a woman from our church. So that's a smaller group of women that are usually working and trying to get in time together before they go to work. Um, and then we have a Thursday evening that also meets here at 7.30 and we'll offer an online one as well. So Sherry this, did the Thursday evening yeah. one last year and really enjoyed it. All right, well, let's move to the next question. It's kind of similar about Jesus' lineage. Wondering if Jesus' lineage can be disputed due to Joseph's not being the biological father of Jesus. Was Mary part of the line of David too? Yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think a reasonable person would try to dispute uh, Jesus' lineage based on Joseph, his not being a blood relative or genetic relative of Joseph, because even Luke says that, that people generally knew that the story was this wasn't Joseph's son, or so it was thought. In other words, that the word was out, that he was uniquely conceived. And so I don't, I don't think anybody would um, dispute Jesus's Davidic uh, heritage um, based on the fact that Joseph wasn't his actual biological father. But the question asker brings up Mary's lineage. It's interesting. Mary was a part of David's line. It's it is common knowledge that the genealogies of Matthew and Luke are different. So if you've, if you've read those genealogies, you'll notice the names are very different. Uh, most Bible commentators explain the difference by holding that Jesus' genealogy in Matthew is traced through Joseph's line, and in Luke it's traced through Mary's line. It means that Mary's lineage is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So, for example, in Luke chapter 3, we see that Joseph... Uh, chapter 3, verse 23, Joseph is described as the son of Heli, H-E-L-I. Uh, the son, though, he's the son of Heli by virtue of his marriage to Mary. Heli was actually Mary's uh, father. And we know this because Joseph is described as, the, as the, his father was Jacob in Matthew's genealogy. So he's got, Joseph has two different dads in these genealogies. Clearly, he's being described in, in Luke's genealogy as the son of Heli based on his marriage to Mary. All right? Is that making sense? You guys, you ever call your in-laws mom or dad? I tried it. It felt awkward. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what's going on here. Uh, Luke is saying that, that Joseph is the son of Mary's father. Um, so I don't think you, you, anybody would dispute... Uh, Christ's lineage based on him not being the bi biological son of Joseph. But it's fascinating that in God's sovereignty, Matthew and Luke offers two very different genealogies. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to the next question. This is a question that's more about um, kind of the specifics of how this all worked. So, um, okay, when we speak of the virgin birth, it seems clear that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. But what about Mary? Did she provide an egg? Or did God provide both parts? Does this have theological or sin nature implications? Does it matter? That last question, does it matter? I'm sure it does matter. I'm not sure how it matters, though. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I, Whatever took place, it, it certainly matters how it took place. In other words, I'm just not sure what took place, and there's a lot of speculation about it. So... Was Mary simply a surrogate? Did the Holy Spirit, when, quote, he overshadowed her, the power of the Most High came upon her, were they, was, was God implanting Jesus? Uh, or was Mary's egg used, and right. there's some sort of cosmic, supernatural insemination going on? I don't, I don't know, and I, I don't know... I don't think the scripture says anything about it. I think there is a, a silence there that inevitably lots of people want to talk about. Have y'all thought about these things before? I've thought about this specific thing. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah, totally. Because yeah. I'm trying to figure out how does sin not get into Jesus? You know what I mean? If he came from Mary, who is from a line of humans. You know how the Catholic Church handles that? Yes. They right. talk about Mary's immaculate, immaculate conception. conception. Right. Yeah. That she, right. You talk, and that just seems like a lot of theological gymnastics for me. Yeah. Well, and 
probably why there's so much emphasis on Mariology. Her. Exactly. Right. If she's, the worship of Mary. Right. So, so as we believe, <laughs> Mary was... Uh, did not have an immaculate conception right. and is from a line of humans and right. therefore from Adam and uh, having therefore original sin. original sin. So how did it not transfer over to Jesus if it was in fact her biological egg? I mean, I, how big would the Bible have to be if every one of these types of questions were going to get answered? It just, it's impossible. You well, couldn't it, write the book. It goes back to even the, uh, the intent of the first question, the author's intent. There was yes. a purpose. Well, and God's intent in his inspiring work. Right. And, and there's something he's inviting us into. There's lots of questions we can have around those things, and they're worth talking and thinking through, but distinguishing what's speculation, what's interesting, what's a deal breaker, all of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and we have to let the Bible be what the Bible is. If, if I was reading a history book and I demanded it at, answered questions on the biology of you know, a famous figure, Right. That's, that's an unfair question to ask of the text or to say it invalidates the text potentially. But it's interesting to think about. Yeah. I'm reading the most fascinating book on Mark Twain. Hmm. It's a book about his favorite foods and how and when he felt he, he started liking these foods. <laughs> that feels so fascinating. Exactly. That's not really specific the word. Very specific. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Mark Twain loved... What drove you to that book? I don't know. Mark Twain loved lake trout. And so when the Civil War started... Very delicious. He, he didn't want to fight in the Civil War. So you ask yourself, how did... So Twain famously, he was a glutton. And he listed fastidious um, menus from his house. He threw these grand parties and he would have the foods prepared that he wanted prepared. And so... <laughs> here's an excerpt from the book basically is how did he fall in love with Lake Trout? Well, in 1861, when the Civil War started, he was not wanting to go to battle. So he basically left and went to Nevada where his brother lived uh, near Lake Tahoe. So he meets with Lake Trout at Lake Tahoe, falls in love with how they taste and they're prepared. A side note, he sets the forest of Lake Tahoe on fire. He's camping along the lake. His campfire gets out of control, and he sets the whole forest ablaze. Wow. All right. And, and then coming back around. Sounds like in the connection. <laughs> History. We, we yeah. just, you know, if you wanted, it would be impossible to answer all possible questions yeah. people might have about the context yeah, so I have no problem uh, with it either way, uh, with God preserving either way. If it's her egg and he miraculously right. preserved, I mean, there's already a miracle. I've said this a million times on the podcast. It's like, we, we believe that Jesus was d as dead as fried chicken right. and then came back to life. I mean, dead, right? right. And he literally came back to life. We yeah. believe that, but then we take other parts of the Bible and we go, mm, I don't know how that worked right. out. And it's like, dude, you just admitted that you believe this. In the Why resurrection, right? Right, yeah. right. Why don't you believe this too? Yeah. And so I, I have no problem with no. either either way. Yeah. If the resurrection's true, the center holds. <laughs> uh, it, right, right, right. Um, okay, let's let's go to the next uh, next question. What... Oh, hold on real quick. Um, yeah. What are some of the consequences of prayerlessness? So we're finally, Prayerlessness. We're yeah. finally at the January So this 2nd. is from yesterday's uh, sermon, from yeah. Sunday sermon. Um, and I called prayerlessness sin. Yes, you did. All right. Yeah. I, I'm done interrupting. Go ahead. Um, what are some of the consequences of prayerlessness? I've heard some people weep and say, I should have prayed more over fill in the blank. This would never have happened. Uh, can our prayer lives affect things like the salvation of others? Um, let me, before I jump into that and answer that specifically here, have you guys ever thought about prayerlessness as being sin? I hadn't, honestly. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think it's, was it overstatement on my part? Uh, I don't know. It was, I, I was actually thinking about it this morning of if I agreed or not. <laughs> Um, if it is, it's fairly convicting, right? Because yeah. um, there's always that question of like, well, how much is enough then? Mm. Um, in the same way, that, that being said, it's not, that can't be the only qualifier. I mean, we're called to generosity. 
mm-hmm. and we can always ask that question, how much is enough? And, right. um, but no, I, I hadn't thought about it as sin per se. I always felt like um, prayer is an invitation to deeper knowledge of God. And so it felt more positive, I guess, in that sense. Uh, the sin aspect, I feel like, oh gosh, you know, and, yeah. but that, that might be my own like part of not wanting to feel bad about mm-hmm. a potential prayerlessness mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah, I don't know if I've thought about it as sin either. I often think in my own life when I'm not praying, I find myself like leaning towards sin more or it like opens the way because I'm not as connected to God or spending time in prayer. And so I think it opens the way to further sin, but I've never thought of like not praying as the sin, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess it kind of opens the question. If if you do something, if you don't do something that God tells you to do, is that is that just qualified sin? Mm-hmm. Well, or yeah, is that it, would be for sure. Yeah. If you don't do something that God tells you to do. Yeah, that's disobedience. So anything in the scriptures that God says to do, th- that we at least have a clear understanding of this is a command. If we don't do it, then that's living a sinful life. Or, or in, oh, not living a sinful life, that's, going, that's committing a sin. Yeah. So if you don't praise God. I'm... Yep. So, I, so I are we I'm talking about yeah? Are we talking about the hundred, the one hundred percent complete absence of sin, or are we talking about a time where it's like, man, I should pray, but I, I just I can't pray right now, or I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, where do you draw the line between uh, of being um, young in the faith or being immature? Immature, right? right? right. Like, so, I think what you're getting at. Matt and Grant, I, th- I think what y'all are getting at is is kind of a realization that there could be a lot more sin in our lives than we realize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I would agree with that. That was actually what I thought of this morning. I was like, is and actually the the uh, I was reading a a thing on prayer this morning and kind of this encouragement. And they said, uh, be ready if you ask God to search you mm. and to reveal sin in your life because there, there's probably more than you you knew. And it yeah. it gave me pause. Where I was like, oh gosh, right. I. I, yes, I want to know on the one hand, but also there's probably more than I realize. And that's, that's a sobering reality. Yeah. Well, and Jesus was so concerned about the state of our heart, not just what we were doing, but our heart. So, so what about rote prayer? What about when I'm just sure. going through the motion? Is that sinful? Like, I mean, if, if you're just doing it to, to check a box... Like, you know, cause, and then this brings up an interesting, uh, point with what you're talking about muscle memory, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, what if I am just doing something cause I'm going through the motions, but I'm still doing it. Is there some value in the muscle memory of it, even though my heart's not in it? I, you know, that seems like a, a less yeah. clear yeah. water, I guess. I don't want to so, overcomplicate it, but. No, Kelly overcomplicated it. <laughs> These are just the questions, you know, because for me as a worship pastor, then I, I, I immediately go to sing, right? Like, okay. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot. Uh, well, and Kelly it's a, and I it's a real danger talked for a lot about, those that get paid to, to, to pray and get paid to lead praise. And I mean, there's some real dangers in it becoming um, kind of a rote and lifeless habit. Sure. But I guess what, what I was going with it was like, okay, I look out and see our church and I see people singing and I see people not singing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've talked at length about that over the last five years, just like what, what in your, yeah, I think you've said before, just lead the people who are yeah. wanting to be led in that right. moment. And, you know, but, yeah. but, but if you're watching people sinning, mm-hmm. if we're going to say that like, okay, a command of God to, to not sing do to that one another. and, and it's not just sing, but like when you gather sing, like, right. Like right. there's specific context, not just sing in general, but right. man, well, don't forsake the gathering. Gather and, sing to each other. and so when you see that as a pastor, it's hard to not have that be heavy on your mind when you know, and it's not just like, well, maybe that person is new to the faith. It's like, nope, that person's <laughs> been going here for 50 years or 30 years or 10 years or whatever. I know they love the Lord. Why are they not singing? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. hard to not. And the good news is, you know, we don't have to play the role of the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, we don't have to convict people. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the, the Spirit may lead us to, um, to speak with somebody about what, what appears to be sin in their life. But um, the good news is that we're under shepherds. We're not actually the chief shepherd ourselves. And Yeah. I do think it's important for us to wrestle with whether or not uh, we agree with my thought that prayerlessness is sin. Are you are you a hundred percent behind that? I uh, am. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm how good long with have it. you thought that? 
Has that been a conviction of yours for quite a while? Or I is that say, a newer? Yeah, I probably I've I've said it from the pulpit now probably two or three times in the last five years. Oh, interesting. Because I was thinking like, oh, I haven't heard that before, mm-hmm. and I was surprised. I, I probably just wasn't paying attention or didn't maybe <laughs> didn't want to hear it, but. Um, was surprised because of the amount we talk about prayer sure. and some of those topics that are close to your heart. You, you tend to have kind of phrases around sure. or ways of describing yeah. things. Um, and it just, it hadn't registered with me before. So I, I was curious certainly about some of the, the backing and, behind that. And my thought here is that, you know, I'm very careful what I call sin and the reason, and I think we should all be very careful what we call sin. Uh, you know, if I spill milk at the dinner table, that's not sin. Christ didn't die to care for my spilled milk. Um, spilling milk is a mistake. And I really think that we need to have the language of sin in our homes. Our kids need to hear about sin and its realities from us. Um, So we need to be careful what we call sin um, because Christ shed his blood for it, to cover it. Um, And I I think it could be fairly easily proof-texted that apart from Christ's shed blood, we'd have no communion with God Thus, we'd not be able to pray when we pray in Christ's name because Christ shed his blood for us. So I, I continue to, to be passionate about the point that prayerlessness is sin. Um, because it's sin, to the, to the listener's question here, what could be the consequences? Well, the consequences of prayerlessness are always going to be some level of, of loss or death in our lives. Sin brings death. We and, and those that and others are going to suffer the consequences of prayerlessness. Um, the American church, I think, is suffering to a degree from a prayerlessness. And, uh, and there are real consequences to that. As to whether or not um, it would affect someone else's salvation, I want to say that, that, um, that while n- nothing will thwart the will of God, um, we sure, we sure can make it difficult on ourselves and others. So, for example, one of the consequences of prayerlessness, Grant is spot on, we don't, we don't have the joy that we would otherwise have. We don't have the communion, the peace. It's the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we pray, we present our request to him. So we, we have less peace, we have less joy, uh, we have, um, there's going to be less obedience. And so there's a spiral here, basically, um, life can, there's just an increase in sin in our lives when there's the increase of prayerlessness. Yeah, that's good. Um, You know, the good news is I I do believe that I was super touched by the passage from Luke chapter 22 where Jesus (laughs) tells Simon, Simon, I've been praying for you that you'd not lose your faith. FYI here, Simon, (laughs) Satan has asked to take your faith. He's demanded that you be sifted like wheat. Yet I've prayed for you. That was deeply convicting to me. Mm. We all have, I'm assuming, friends, family, that we'd love to see walk closer to Christ. Uh, Perhaps their faith is, they're on the edge of losing their faith. You know, the remedy for that starts with prayer. That's, I just felt really deeply convicted. So God involves us. He includes us in working his will out in the world. Yeah. God has ordained prayer as a means to accomplishing his will. You know, in, in the question, what are some of the consequences of prayerlessness? Um, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about it, right? Like um, that uh, when that the, it takes a multitude of people to, to call in uh, a person's character in a multifaceted way, right? Like, so uh, let's say um, I'm, I have a friend. We've been friends since we were 12, played in bands together, you know, went to high school, college, but then moved, moved away and lives in different states, right? And so now, you know, fast forward 20 years, whatever, I got kids, married. Um, there is a part of me that my family does not experience unless I'm around my buddy because he knows me in a way that they just don't. And he just brings out a different part of me. And so what one of C.S. Lewis's points was like, um, how much more true would that be of God? Right. And that's one of the reasons why we are, um, or do so many things in community and think about how much you learn about God when you are praying with other people. 
Mm. People who are new to the faith, people who are, you know, seasoned in their faith, like even just with our children, right? Like, man, and I I don't ask my kid to pray so I see where he's at spiritually and try to, you know, but at the same time, when I hear their prayers, it it does give you, um, it's a window, it's a window into their relationship with God and and it shows you a a new part of maybe a, a different part of God that maybe you're not. I actually think a lot of husband and wives do not pray together because it is such a clear window into the soul state. Sure. It's a very intimate activity. You're really vulnerable when you're praying the depths of your heart. Yeah. Um, Keller talks about, I think it was his wife who challenged him on this, uh, and he said it changed his prayer life. Uh, She said, you know, if you had some kind of deadly disease, then all you had to do to keep it at bay is take a pill once a day, you would never miss it. It would never be a thing of like, oh, I don't know if I want that today. Tomorrow I would die. And and her point was, without prayer, I think this is kind of in line with what you're suggesting, Kelly, without prayer, we we really are dying. We're disconnected from the vine. um, And choosing that is just opting out of life and this thing that can help preserve us. Um, And he said, following that, actually, that him and his wife, despite their different travel schedules, and even when they're on different parts of the world, never missed have never missed an evening of praying together. They always figure out a way. Anywhere he goes, it's kind of in the you know speaking contract. Um, whatever that he can have access somehow to a phone or, or computer so that they can be praying together. And he found it as as critical, um, basically as breathing. It, and, he's, and it's become really central to his life. But I, I thought that metaphor was really helpful, this idea of uh, medicine that helps keep us connected to the Father and keeps us from perishing. How important or crucial, I'm not sure what the right word is, do you think it is to be praying in groups out loud together? I think like people can have really strong prayer lives that are private or maybe to themselves, but then have a different struggle when you're in a group together. Or I think we put a lot of pressure on having prayers that sound beautiful or have the right words. And so just how would you encourage someone that maybe struggles to pray in a group or doesn't know what to pray or how to pray out loud? I think it's, of phenomenal importance that we learn to pray out loud together. I can't imagine coming together in groups, say groups of four, groups of eight, and one person never saying anything, right? That's just really awkward. It's not, it's not a, it's not a helpful group experience in the same way. If, if we won't talk to God together, it's, it's just very difficult to get to know each other, to support one another, uh, to hold arms, uh, hold hands, and, and make this journey together. So I think it's really important that people do that. And I realize, Aaron, I mean, I know in Bible studies, I've led lots of small groups, and it's hard to get people to come out of their shell when prayer is so vulnerable. Um, but I think there are some, some little simple strategies. I used to get, my favorite was to get a three-by-five card ask everybody to write their prayer request down on a three by five card, and then just, we would read what's on the three by five card. And that seemed to help people voice what's on their heart. Just taking two to three minutes um, before we go to prayer, you know, we pray enough that whenever it's time to pray, we can go to prayer together. Uh, And I realize that's not the case for everybody. Um, So, it, it, it's a muscle that needs to get exercised. That's good. All right, let's go to, uh, let's go to the next, next question. The distinction between a book on prayer and a book of prayers was helpful. Please give me all your titles. Yeah, Grant, is there a way that we could post these titles somewhere? Yeah, I can throw it on the website pretty easily. Yeah, so I'll be honest with you. So I mentioned uh, Sunday morning that I've taken to praying the book of Psalms. So that's really how I pray primarily is opening a psalm and just whatever was on the psalmist's heart, just letting that guide me and talking to God about what I find there. But there are, let's see, seven books here that I'll just, I'll move through quickly. Most of these books are from Sherry, my wife. Uh, She uses these for helps um, and and I'm sure she prays the Psalms as well, but she's been very disciplined over the years at, at utilizing these types of helps. Maybe some of these are familiar with you guys. Um, a Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey is a new one she's using. And she handed the book to me the other day. She goes, 
uh, you need to pray this prayer. Wow. She and I had been talking about some stresses that I, I was feeling. And um, she has the habit of waking early in the morning, sitting down, working through a prayer that's offered in, in one of her favorite books here. And she read through this prayer. She goes, this is what you're struggling with. Handed mm-hmm. it to me. And I just sat there and read it a while and, and prayed. So A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey, The Power of a Praying Through the Bible by Stormy O. Martin, The Power of a Praying Parent by Stormy O. Martin, Valley of Vision by Arthur Bennett, I mentioned Sunday morning, 31 Days of Prayer by Warren and Ruth Myers, Praying the Scripture for Your Children by Jody Brent, and Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Uh, Where will we put those, Grant? Uh, initially, I can put them with the going deeper questions. Okay. On the um, website? Yeah, on the website. And we could probably add it to our prayer resources page as well. Okay. Do you guys have books? Do you all use books of prayer to pray? Uh, historically, I've used the common book of prayer oh, yeah. and just kind of worked through that. And then I have a, uh, a book of Celtic prayers that a friend suggested that he was really helpful for him. And so... Um, yeah, if I felt like I was struggling or wasn't really sure what to pray, would lean on that a little bit. No, yeah. I have not really. I feel like I often more similarly pray the Psalms or use like the Lord's Prayer as a guide, but less that. I have found like liturgy sometimes helpful or some of the like prayers that the churches have read together. Like we're going back to some of those I found helpful at yeah. times. Aaron, have you seen Stormy O. Martin's books before? No. These are the greatest books uh, she has a series of books, and they're titled generally titled "The Power of a Praying," and then parent, yeah. spouse, husband, husband, wife. wife yeah, uh, but she has a series of books all focused on children. The the uh, praying for your toddler, praying for your elementary kid, praying for your teenager. Again, the author's name last name is O Martin O M A R T I A N Stormy O Martin, and uh, her stuff is really reliable and invaluable. All right, let's go to our final question. How did Jesus know about Satan demanding Simon's soul? Would God reveal that type of information to us about others? I don't know if God would do that. I do know that God is the revealer of mysteries. Daniel chapter two, verse 28. God is making himself known. He's making his purposes known. He's, um, he's including and involving us in that such that we can pray and preach, proclaim his good news, and share with others. So God's a revealer of mysteries. It doesn't surprise me that, that Jesus would have known the schemes of the enemy. And, being, and it doesn't surprise me he would have been praying against those schemes. Uh, there are some miraculous gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that could be the source of Jesus knowing that Satan had asked to sift Simon's soul. Um, These miraculous gifts are called word of knowledge or word of wisdom. They're two separate gifts. The word of knowledge is is when you know something you wouldn't know other than that God had revealed it to you. And so I'm not sure how Jesus knew that Satan had demanded to sift Simon, Um, but it is possible to know things that you'd not have otherwise known. In other words, the revealer of mysteries, God, is making things known. There's a famous example I've mentioned before on the podcast of uh, D.L. Moody preaching. So he's preaching (laughs) downtown Chicago, and uh, he gets up to preach, and somehow, that would be by the Holy Spirit, is what I'm trying to say, uh, he has this word of knowledge. That is, he has a knowledge that some that the man in the front row had stolen the gloves he was wearing. And so he he stops his preaching, he addresses the man directly, you stole those gloves, you need to repent and return them. And the man the man comes up to Deal Moody afterwards and says, You're right, I stole them, I'll return them. And he tra- he placed his trust in Christ. Wow. So, you know. There is a means by which God accomplishes his purposes that is, um, it's otherworldly. And so I, I assume that yeah. that's how Jesus came to know it. You brought up a, lot, a list of good questions that you personally yeah. had surrounding the scenario that how did Jesus know about Satan demanding who, who is Satan to demand anything? Yeah, I thought that was a great question. Like, yeah. exactly. And there are theologians that deal with that. Um, we won't get into it now. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Good podcast. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Have, do you guys, have y'all um, experienced words of knowledge, words of wisdom before? I can't say that I, I have. I've been on the receiving end, maybe. Yeah. People sure. doing that. Um, some that like came to fruition and some no. Right. Uh, yeah. So I've kind of tried to think through it. But I, I, and I've asked for them previously, but I, I don't, wouldn't say that I've ever had some kind of like um, divinely given knowledge or inspiration. You know who, uh, on a couple of occasions, John Vanderveld has yeah. uh, moved in that gift. Yeah. You know? I actually, I, one of the more recent times has been me having a sense that John had a word and encouraging him if he had it to go up and speak. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I sense that you would sense that John <laughs> would have the word. <laughs> Get, sorry, sorry. What's happening here? So what were we going to say? Oh, here? I was going to say similarly. I think. I've been on either on the receiving end. I think I have a friend who is really gifted mm. and like been gifted in that and seen her just speak words of knowledge or words of wisdom that have been very true in people's lives mm. and just been really encouraged by experiencing that through her. But I don't think I've actually had that. I feel like it is a place that the American church could grow. We could grow in our, our openness to that and, um, yeah, and bless one another in taking risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we think we're hearing something from the Lord, to speak it. And all right, yeah. I'm good. I'm all good. right, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast six three zero four seven four sixty one sixty four. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader faith topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. prophecy.